Okay, we're all good. Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Welcome back to the B2C Lead Gen Podcast. My name is Daniel Hopewell here with Simon Delaney and this is episode 57, How Effective Can Outbound Be? And that's a fairly broad overarching title. We'll be diving into various areas of this subject and helping today we have Marion with us who is the CEO of the Verity Centre. Welcome to the show Marion, how are you doing today? I'm great thank you and very nice to be on here. Thank you for joining us. So yeah, it's a, it's a third attempt to try and uh, secure it because we've all had various things going on. So I'm very pleased we managed to get you and uh, just like a nice day. Uh, where, where are you based? Uh, Havens. So, where's that, sorry? It's just outside Portsmouth. So basically it's just off the A27. Well, it looks a very nice day in Haven. I can see the sort of blue sky. So yeah, we're all in a good mood. We'll uh, we'll get cracking and uh, yeah. we'll dive into the to the very photo centre. So Marianne, to kick us off, could you tell us a bit about the photo centre and also your role and your kind of background? Uh, how how you got into that? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, the photo centre is a um, a small boutique. Um, it's kind of been driven from my thoughts of over the years of what I wanted and I did go into something for a while as COO for about six and a half years um let's just kind of put his his paths separated as they were not uh, aligned and I came out of it going what am I going to do and then uh Humphrey Davis out in South Africa sent me a message and it basically kind of went Marianne, what's your focus? So I woke up the next morning and I kind of went, hang on, my whole concept and idea was about having something very innovative and actually going back to the fact of, you know, how you talk to people and that any sort of kind of relationship and communication can be an art form if it's done properly. And also down to the fact of, because I'm adored outbound for... Um, my God, 25, 30 years, actually, yeah, 30 odd years, is the thought of, you know, I could really get into something and start talking with people about outbound and where we could actually take it and maybe change people's concepts and perception about outbound. I mean, there's companies out there who totally stopped outbound because they're scared of it, but, you know, they shouldn't be. So I came up with, um, well, I wanted to make a, a kind of a point out there of my beliefs and ethos of what we do. And I'm someone who has massive integrity. And basically, so I named it the Verity Centre because Verity means truth and principles. Um, and that kind of started off where the, all the values come from, you know, through Verity. Um, and the other thing about really is about, about the people they are the most important asset you have in the company. And if you look after them and you develop them and nurture them and inspire them, actually you can get them to do amazing things. And then thrown in with it, our whole concept about the respectful approach to communication would be really quite fun. So we've spent a long time, um, I spent the first kind of five, six months developing the brand and really getting that out there to get people to start talking and then got certain management staff in to write all the processes so our processes were in line 
with like the big BPOs, um, because we could say, we're not interested in fighting against you and competing against on size. But what we want to say to people is, your relationship with us will be a true partnership. Um, we're completely and utterly authentic. We are definitely positively different and that you should come and talk to us. And actually what is really weird is all the stuff I keep promoting about outbound, about 70% of work we're doing at the moment is inbound. <laughs> because I keep getting people contacting us and going, well, you're really good at outbound, so you should be really good at this. You know, what do you think about well, And I find inbound really, really quite easy because it's technically, you know, you have a system and you utilize that correctly, the different modes of communication, because they are just modes. And then the important thing is the actual communication. So if you spend most of your time really developing and nurturing and educating your people, actually inbound is not that difficult but it's about the time you give them. So yeah, haven't been doing as much outbound as I thought I would actually be doing. Can I ask you a question? When you said um, a lot of brands have been put off doing outbound, what is it specifically do you think that's put them off? Uh, it's, it's calls that they get at home. I mean, we know the charity industry. Um, I mean, I can't remember exactly the date it happened, but it was an incident in Bristol. And basically that kind of shut down the most of the charity market. Um, at the moment, the charity market is definitely, you will have seen, is starting in to come out. But the compliance around it is a lot more now, which is really, really good. Um, you know, there are some insurance companies out there. Um, and I remember having a conversation with, it was a, um, a couple of them, and they want to do it, but they're absolutely petrified of their and their compliance are the ones who are saying no because it's too dangerous. And a lot of it is to do with perception of what people get at home. Um, you will so just just to be clear, this is so this is brands using outsource sensors to call people, but it's um, it's the perception that those people don't want calls. Um, I, it's not just about brands outsourcing it's brands doing it themselves and brands doing well, it themselves yeah. yeah i think it's it's more about one the compliance side of it and they're kind of concerned because of the type of calls they receive themselves at home and i honestly some of the ones i receive at home are awful and i'm not saying there aren't good centers out there yes there are but there's an awful lot of not good women who aren't compliant and all they do is, you know, burn through data. There's no relationship building. There's none of that. And so you have an insurance company that, you know, FCA are on their necks all the time who just kind of step away from it and just are concerned to actually do that. Also, conversation I had with them is, it's difficult, isn't it? <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they look at that and one, it's really difficult because to do it is a properly is a pure art form, yeah. which means they haven't got the people internally, so they have to choose the right external people and get the right external partners, which is a lot of work, and you actually have to manage them. So there's a lot more thought 
surrounding the whole thing for someone to make a decision on utilizing outbound, even though I perceive, and like um, Paul Banks, Jimmy Hosen, you know, uh, Gary Golney, who are doing this outbound, re reinventing outbound at the moment, is that it could be a very powerful tool and quite a magic wand for a lot of organizations, especially on the fact of your business development. That first year, what do you do with them? They just forget you, especially insurance companies. Hmm. It was um, just a, it was a thing that came out from the ICO yesterday, wasn't there? With uh, I was just looking at it now while we were talking about it, about insurance companies that all got fined. I think it was four hundred and five thousand pounds yesterday over predatory marketing calls targeting elderly vulnerable people. Um, so it's like UK Appliance Cover Limited, Domestic Support Limited, Home Shore Solutions Limited, Seaview Brokers, and UK Platinum Home Care Services. And so what I think, yeah, like you mentioned, what happens is, for me, I think a lot of this comes back to, it, there's two things. So one is obviously integrity. It's funny that you mentioned it. So it's like, where will you go to achieve the performance or whatever you're doing, but also the data that people are buying. So, you know, the, um, yeah, they're not making sure it's compliant. They're not making sure they've potentially got consent. There's definitely, I'm almost certain they have like no intent, a lot of these people other than, you know, some of them they're talking about targeting the elderly as they're hitting people of a, a certain age. But I think sometimes this is almost like this news that came out yesterday from the ICO with this. If you are a brand that was looking to outsource, this sort of stuff scares you to death. Yeah. Mm. And it's it's actually that that almost needs to be overcome, isn't it? It's the difference between this, the dark art of it, which is the only darkness is they're not <laughs> they're not doing what they should be doing, and like the actual like practical solution that can work of outbound and the, it, it's a real education i suppose of what is the difference isn't it yeah and it, it is really quite massive and, and as i say it, it's like a massive massive big ball with many many different well actually more actually more like a cog of a wheel because every single cog has to be done correctly to make it work and you're completely right Data is a massive thing, and it scares me in companies, and I've seen it, where empowerment is moved to more like abdication. And what you have is, I mean, I believe in empowerment. However, if someone doesn't know anything, and there's about educating people and learning and passing your knowledge on so they grow and understand things, well, you've got in some companies, people are brought in and put in positions and got to deal with data. And what they're being is opinionated on the data, not actually looking at segmentation properly, looking at the AI, understanding the data, what is coming out of the data and utilizing that to basically, you know, do your forecasting, understand what your strategies are. So, yeah, data plays an important part, but the problem is, is human beings, because they're the ones who make decisions on, on what they're doing. And I remember many, many years ago, um, I was working on um, a project and it was all to do with um, telecoms sales for NTL. So that's going back quite a while. And 
NTL were really, really, really quite tight on the fact of, um, you know, this is this many records you have every month, okay, you know, this many people. And even though I kind of tried to talk to them so many times about dovetailing data to penetrate data better and those type of thing, you know, they were NTL and they kind of knew, knew better. And the data was extremely tough. And the guys um, in the team, the project manager said, we've had, you know, there was about 45 in, in the team, said we've had, uh, you know, some people leave because we keep telling them the data is fine. Um, but, you know, they're having a hideous time and they're not hitting targets and they're really kind of being really quite bullshy now that the data's crap. So I said, right, let's have a, a, a meeting with all of them. I went, right, all sitting in a round circle so there's no hierarchy, all split yourself out. And what we're going to do is have a good chat. And one of the guys went, all right, open, what, what's the matter? One of the agents went, oh, the data's really crap. Well, you use what, much worse profanities than that. And I went, no, I went, the data's very tough. I said, you know, there are all different demographics. Um, I said, there isn't good data and there's not bad data. I said, there's different demographic data according to the different projects that you're doing and what you're trying to sell. And some stuff will be, you know, more tough than others. I said, but if we can actually come to overcome the objections to deal with the tough data, could you imagine what you would do on data where the demographics was better? And more supportive so if we get you to hit target on this then the fact is that what we can then do is you'll smash the target and just earn so much bonus so what i worked on was the influencing their mindset to actually change their understanding of data and that you will have different datas and then also took data sets and started to blend the data so the data was mixed, so the demographics were all over. And what they found, what I found was in doing that is that actually increased the percentage conversion on the tougher data because it was mixed in with the kind of the softer, better demographics. And so people were more motivated because they didn't have patches of hard data. Mm. So there's so many different things you could do. I mean, you, you know more about the utility market have proper data pyramids of the different types of data set you know get your teeth cut on some tough data it's a good thing to do and then you have all your different elements of your data pyramid to get at the top you know your digital leads the really good ones because those ones you should be converting really high percentages not that you hear some companies and you will have heard this where people go, oh yeah, oh, those digitally say rubbish. And you kind of go, well, they're not. One, have you looked at the strategy of how to contact them correctly and being able to make sure there is a proper treatment and strategy to be able to enable to contact? Why do you believe that suddenly, because someone gives you a digital lead that you're going to get it, that you're going to ring it, they're going to answer immediately and then they're going to go, oh yeah, I'll have that. That's all to take in. Yeah. I think it, it might be important to explain as well um, to anyone listening that if you operate a outsourced call center, and you, they do it as well if it's internal, but they get more of a choice, it, the importance of creating this blend 
because it, and then a lot of that comes back to like agents idle time the standard the agents are at training agents the amount yeah. of data that you can actually get um so you'll see we obviously talk all the time about lead generation and intent and consent and it, how important it is but we're also very aware that if you're operating an outsourced uh sales center it's almost impossible to sort of get that volume and be able to keep the sort of number of agents and training agents as well so sometimes i i think i wonder if like it's to do with numbers as well you know like i know some call centers have like a thousand people working for them and there's just yeah. no there's no way they could get the amount of like high quality data they could ever need you but, know but i think that and this is completely my opinion is no, that's, it's good to have a, it's good to have an alternative opinion yeah let, let them get on with that because the fact is that I, I remember having a discussion with someone who kind of went oh my god we could have 350 seats of venture sales and it's absolutely amazing and it'd be absolutely brilliant and I'm sitting there banging my head on the table um and mainly because my brain wants to work and do innovative stuff and especially with, with outbound and my concept and mindset was straight away, I will look at a utility campaign if I can do it exactly how I want it, which is start with about six people. That's it. And actually get those really working with the right blend, have your data pyramid exactly how you want it, and to be able to get them to convert in at a high level. Do I ever want thousands a thousand seats of you know energy sales absolutely no would i have in the corner about 20 seats of energy sales yeah i might do but doing it how i exactly want it and actually that would be pumping out exactly what i want because you can manage it tightly you can manage the data you can be constantly analyzing the data. And the thing is, you end up putting so much a higher output through those 20. I remember, do you remember the listening company? Mm. Yeah. Right. So the listening company, um, in 2002, I became the site director of Portsmouth site. Before that, I was the actual, I was the British Gas client. And so I managed... Um, five BTC agencies out in the market and I was looking to bring them down to two. It also renegotiated all the pricing with them, which they hated because initially it was um, £25 to sale. Um, so if they got a dual field, I got 50. So I changed it to £25 um, for one and £35 for the two. So um, I mean, the, de the devil, the devil woman. Yeah. I was the devil woman. I always remember because I worked. Up, I walked onto the listing company site. I told, I told everyone, don't tell Neville and Adrian that I'm coming. Just, just say the new um, outsourced channel manager is coming to visit on that day. And I walked through the door, and Adrian just looked at me and went, "Oh shit!" And I went, "Oh, that's a really nice welcome. Thanks a lot." And he went, "Yeah, but you know what you're talking about." I went, "Yeah, I know." I said. If you don't do what you need to do, I said, I'm going from five to three. So you need to be in the top three if you're staying there. And so that was it in July. And I also, because Agent said to me, can you come and take over um, 
Portsmouth site. And I said, don't talk to me. I said, because you can't do that because I'm looking to sack two agencies. <laughs> so you can't. I, he said, when you're making a decision, I said, the 13th of November, 14th of November, I got a call saying to me, can you come and take over running the site? And they had, I mean, what they were putting through, um, you know, all the sales were there. Um, however, what I found out when I went to the site was they had 150 people doing it. So there was just a little bit of, you know, with their reports and kind of went, right, okay. Um, they were in, the site was in like 37% loss, uh, gross margin loss. And 150, I sacked 75 people and we hit more sales with 75 people that I had left than all the 350 because we took them and to be honest the majority of people that I got rid of I gave them a chance and I said to them you stop selling on 28 day cancellation and I said you, you give them one chance if you're caught doing it if you do it again then you're gone so we got rid of about 75 during that and then the rest of them basically took into rooms, re-educated them completely, structured selling, psychology of selling, and then just solid side-by-side -side coaching from the managers. Um, and in the initial thing, I put a confirmation at the end of the call for the manager to take over and confirm that the sale was real. And yeah, we turned it from minus 37% to plus 35% gross margin. Wow. So just to clarify that, was that were they losing money profitably or is this to do with were they getting how were they getting paid were they just getting on the sales per hour or yeah say, yeah. yeah and what they you know uh, one of the things that i had put in as well I, I, there was an i an irony in all of this isn't it because i wrote the service levels and the negotiation of the prices and then i had to go and actually do my own service levels so i had to I had to show them it could be done. You have to mark your. You had to mark your own homework. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's you know anyone who is asking you to do um, risk. I mean, it's a very dangerous road to go down to do risk these days. Um, you know, doing risk for someone like British Gas, they were quite quite solid. They also paid for all the data, um, so you weren't in any position. Um, that just kept adding costs on to you. Um, and also, I'd been part of the whole kind of um, the data forum with the marketing, um, actually looking at where they did the data, and British Gas were really good at that. Um, so, you know, it, it is a difficulty, but everyone... You know, like magpies see like kind of glossy things or shiny things and want to go and steal it. Like you get in contact centers where people look and they look at the fact of not that it's risk, but they go, I can have like a thousand seats. And on my calculator, I go a thousand by naught point whatever, and it's going to give me this by. 25 pound per sale and it's going to give me this oh look i'm going to earn all of that money but the reality is it doesn't work like that yeah no 
And the fact is that your turnover of staff is absolutely massive. So you have to take in your recruitment costs, your training costs. Um, so that's why actually you'll find that agencies that do it smaller and kind of just build it to a certain size and stick to a certain size and really understand the nuances of what they're doing will be the people who are making money out of it. Well, I think the, so it's kind of well known that uh, like a lead generator, for example, might have a ceiling of volume that they can hit. Ooh. And once they sort of go beyond that, in certain channels, the quality starts suffering because you have to start either cutting corners or doing something else or removing things or maybe not qualifying leads or expanding the audience. So you're removing um, some of the potential restrictions. In. And I think sensors are exactly the same with the volume of agents they can possibly get to before they actually start to see like decreasing returns on like every new agent they add. And I've always wondered what it is. Um, because I think what you can do is open two sites. Like you say, you could have like 25 people that had two completely separate like line management going down, but you could never yeah. put them together and expect the same performance. Um, it's interesting, like you said, it, it seems to all come down to like the human, the person. And they're, it's a bit like being in a classroom, you know, like when you've got one teacher with 40 kids, they're not going to learn as well if you've got one teacher with like 10 kids. Um, it's, like, it's, yeah. a bit, it's a very like that's the analogy I always think of it's like classroom sizes um, with agents. It is, it is really, it, and, and no, I agree with you completely because um, I always used to say, and I used you know, talk to people like Neville Upton of the listing company, and it would be like I used to say that really, if you want to run a site, never go above five, six hundred, because once you start going above that in a place that it actually starts to, as I say, you would diminish the actual level of people of capability and skill that you would want to, uh, to bring in. So, you know, you have some of these centers that have two and a half thousand people based on the site. Now, actually having 500 in, let's say Portsmouth and 500 in Southampton and 500 in Bournemouth, is the fact that you then actually keep the capability and skill higher, but also, you know, it's within a kind of a certain distance that you can still keep together. And to be honest, with all of these, um, with Zoom and Teams and all of that, things have changed quite drastically. You know, I could probably, I did a project with an outsourcer in Stockton on Tees, um, and they actually outsourced work to us because it was outbound and they needed help on it because they're mainly inbound and we just talked back and forth every day on this and kept very aligned on everything that we were doing and it was extremely successful so you can do anything but I think sometimes it's this if you listen to some people in the market of the outsourcing arena um, it's as though that their life depends on being able to go, I've got this many seats. Mm. And I would far prefer to be known and the Verity Centre to be known of going, oh my God, go speak to them because they're absolutely amazing. You know, one, as a support for the client, they're there, 
they you know they're very innovative in their thoughts but their their people are great and the projects are successful um that's what i want to want to hear I, I i don't really give a damn about going yes i've got 800 seats yeah. matter. i think totally matters is about that you are doing the best work for your client and their customers or their potential customers because a potential customer becomes a customer and then you want to on want them for um a long time i looked a, uh, a model for swiss re a number of years ago um so it was an insurance model and so basically doing the you know first year you lose money second year you break even third year you make profit five years really someone's got a policy you're making really good money off them 10 years oh my god i should have gone into the insurance business because they make so much money it's ridiculous so you know it, it's and and actually doing that for someone you actually then gives you the real insight to educate your people doing sales on the fact of not train them to do a job educate them in the marketing angle on why the importance of the solid um, sale that is going to last five years and 10 years, but what, what it actually gives the company. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of um, take training away and start educating your people in a much more broader sense. So they understand much more of the work they're doing, especially in outbound. Yeah, makes sense. I, um, I want to bring the focus back slightly, Marianne, to, to brands, because we have a lot of brands and lead buyers who listen to this show. Um, and there was something on your website, which I'm just going to look at to read to make sure I got it correctly. <laughs> correct, that says, um, we are the guardians of your brand image. Um, I saw that, I pulled it out because I thought that's really important, especially it feeds into a lot of the stuff we talk about. Um, and I think, as you say, there's, there's the perception with maybe the bigger call centers that they're not the best advocates of the brand image sometimes. They even can harm it potentially without that stuff. Um, what I want to know is how you do that, how you protect the brand image um, and for the people listening, how they, you know, they can stand that, like why you think it's so important and that's the case. Well, one, I believe it's extremely important from our brand image and what people perceive of us. So I'm going to definitely protect everyone else's brand image. Um, that is about the type of people that you hire, the education you give, and the values that you instill in people. Because you know the people that we're bringing in to our company, um, I mean, they go through quite um, a vigorous kind of um, interview. But it's, it's about to find out not just their capability and skills, but their kind of their ethos and what they want to be and what they want to be part of. You would have read, you know, very much on your on the website as well on the page about the people, um, about how important it is about people being yourself. Well, actually, if you go out to a lot of companies, I mean, a number of them used to do an awful lot of psychometric testing. And actually the people that are yourself are actually quite creative 
and don't always fall into that main category in the psychometric testing that you should have working for you. But actually, those are the people that will instill your brand, that really care about it. They, they are creative. They have soft, you know, they're soft souls. They're, they're different. So actually, looking at the type of people very much who work in your company, who harvest those feelings and values that you do, will, in, you know, you then can instill your client's brand. We work for a medical company uh, at the moment, and it's um, dealing with all their prescriptions. And so the empathy that we need has to be massive. So the, the, the quality calls that we do are absolutely huge. And yeah, everyone kind of plays part in it, whether they're compliance quality or whether they're the HR admin person. Um, actually, our database and MI person is all about making sure that we're constantly liaising with the guys on the floor and also listening to what they're actually doing and staying. And you know, making sure that they are coached, okay? Not far listening, which managers do, but actually coached and helped and nurtured, you know, in how they're talking to people. And again, one of our strap line is about a respectful approach to communication. So, you know, it is all about the education and, and training and educating and developing people to actually understand more about what they're doing, which means that, you know, instead of hiring someone, bringing them in, sticking them in a training room, training them on the fact of there's your script, that's what you need to follow, there's your computer things. So they go out there, they don't really understand or believe in what they're doing. It's just a job. Whereas what we're doing is educating them about the importance of people's brands. That's and great. It's this refreshing point to say it because I think that's like wholly important. I wonder, this is the funny thing with the size of the agency you've got as well. I think that it feeds back into is like, can you actually maintain that if you've got a 50% loss rate of staff every month? If you're having to hire 50% again every month? you know you have the you give them or you you know you spend as little on the actual like data or leads to um fuel the agents with like all these things feed into the respect for the brand i i think and so can you actually like respect the brand doing any of those things it, it, everything comes back to how you manage it and, uh, you know, it, it's again, it's how you work with, with, with the client. Um, I mean, to be honest, I, I've turned down about seven or eight projects that have been risk outbound because I just will not work risk. I mean, I mainly because the fact is that if a company won't take a risk now um, themselves, then the fact is you probably can't hit what they're asking because otherwise they would take the risk. Um, By risk, you mean a cost per acquisition yes, model? Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, if companies want their brands looked after properly, then it has to be a true partnership with a company. And I think, you know, that is 
Um, so I, I can't say who it is, but a company came to me and they've been following what we're doing. And she just said, I, I, I want to do work with you. I love everything that you stand for. Um, and it's wonderful. And we're using an agency at the moment. And they basically, she said, they don't understand our brand. And she said, you know, the guys are trained on the phone. She said, none of them, you go and talk to them. They don't understand. And it was absolutely great. And I couldn't help them because I don't do 24 seven, um, which I felt really rubbish over. Um, and however, I've, I've put them off to someone that I've, I've done work with and I believe in them and I know we're a good company who do 24 seven um, and put them together, which I will do because you know if I can't do something, I'll pass it on. But the lady, she, she's, she's kept in touch with me and you know, truly looking at it again, it's going from those agents they're not going to understand the brand if the senior management don't understand the brand. So where's the care from the people who run the contact centers? Because I've been in a lot of outsourced contact centers and a lot of the stuff is very glossy and lovely. Their websites are beautiful. Um, well, I've also consulted in quite a few. Um, and when you come to it, you know, you actually, Go because there is like two, three thousand people in them. The hierarchy are far removed from what's actually going on on the floor. They're all busy doing their meetings. But where is the actual kind of operational focus that the client is getting what they want? And the agents on the front line are getting the development, the um the coaching, but the management by their team managers, their operational managers, what, where's their knowledge on outbound? Where are they getting it from and being able to utilize it with these people and looking at, looking at your telephony system, looking at your CRM, looking at the data, looking at how it all works, driving the knowledge of the fact of, okay, let's say outbound sales, utilities again, We've got this data, we've been calling, we look at all the A out of it, we understand that in Birmingham, and it's because I remember this from something, you know, there's so many different postcodes in Birmingham. 40% of them were really good. 60% of them were really bad. So then it's actually having a look at, like you said, the amount of data, okay, in those areas, how much data of the good area do you have that you can utilize? But also in those other areas, what is the demographics actually hitting? Because those areas, isn't it? So, you know, what age are those people in those areas? What is the kind of, are they working or are they on the dole? You know, again, utilizing all the AI to do it, but who's teaching all that? to the operations managers and team managers. And if you talk to them, they'll go, well, that's not us, that's the dialer team's job. But you're the ops, you should know everything. You're the heartbeat of, <laughs> if you're an outsourcer, um, if you don't have an operation, you don't have a company. 
because that's what pays the money. Unless you've got loads of bots, then you can make money for nothing in the background. Yeah. But if you live people doing outbound, then the fact is the, um, the operation is the heart of what is going on. So the people managing that should understand all the nuances of the COG to be able to nurture and develop every element that's in that to be successful. Yeah. Maybe I'm just looking at perfection completely. No, I think, I think you're right. But one, so one thing I wondered about is, <clears throat> so you have the, let's say you've got the, the dream models, you have a, um, a brand that understands it's a shared risk, so they yeah. possibly work on like a hybrid model, let's say. Um, so they give you like an amount per agent plus bonus overrides for performance. Yeah. Yeah. This seems to be a way that a lot of people would work. Um, you have very well-trained agents, so a bit more like B2B agents in terms of their understanding of the brand. Um, their approach is very sort of brand centric and things. So now it comes to the data that you're going to receive. And this is one area that I've always like struggled with a little bit is so let, there's a few different, there's varying degrees of data, right? So let's imagine it's all got consent. So you can all, you can legally call it. and yeah. yeah. Okay. There's not going to be any problem with it. So then you have something like list date, which would be a third party opt-in that you've bought like a hundred thousand yeah. records and given to the agent. You've got some like premium leads where you're expecting like 20% conversion rate. They've done like a multi-form fill. And then you have something in the middle, like co-reg, for example, yeah. um, where it's a bit of a softer intent, but you know, they've said, yes, I want to call about X. Um, on that list data and potentially the co-reg stuff, how do you, so this is effectively almost like a cold call with the list data, right? Yeah. How do you get those like that? How does it sit with the brand calling those individuals? And how do you get it that the brand isn't then going to be associated with like, you're pissing me off, you're annoying me, you're cold calling me, go okay. away. So again, you're going back to education and, and training. Um, I've always kind of uh, worked on, um, and I, over the years, I've actually gone in and done guest, I call it guest training, like I'm a guest chef, um, doing actual proper structure selling and psychology of selling. Um, one of my backgrounds, um, I actually learnt my sales in newspapers. So I worked for the Thompson Group. And then I, when I went to work for a golly Slater, my boss happened to be a lady called Wendy Bailey, who used to work for the Thompson Group, and she went all over America setting up their telesales all over um, there and then over the UK as well. So my background of training was very clearly in a room, um, and, and you don't need to do this, but I, my training was four weeks without anything other than being taught how to train no food, no food, no water. Well, no. Nothing. <laughs> Just a little, a little bed in the corner. Now and again, threw me a boat. I was fine. No, but you, we, we didn't do anything. Yeah. All you trained was in structured selling. And so I've never, ever had to be taught how to sell again. I know in my mind, I've got to go in. I've got to grab attention. I've got to find interest, build a relationship that, give them the desire and then close. It's simple. It's like the Ada model, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is one of the biggest selling techniques right. um, over yeah. the world for newspapers. We but, use it on, you use it on landing pages as well. It's a really sort of, you know, set structure that you can go through. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then you add in the marketing angle and the psychology of selling and starting to have a look at, I mean, when I train people, I make, I'm, I make a team sit there, I make them close their eyes and I will do different tones and different kind of things. And I'd love to be part of that. <laughs> I, dig- I digress dreadfully. No, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, I do digress too much. But it's, it's the fact that what I'm trying to do is teach people and say, yeah, it's again, it's teaching them about the whole reason why people buy. And, you know, also, oh God, and I hate this. I've seen this in so many places that the trainer will go get them all around and go write your own script. Right, okay. So we're writing, getting people to write a script half the time in a lot of companies that they're not really top salespeople, are they? Um, I mean, top salespeople could just get on the phone and sell. Um, and also top salespeople are paid like 26, 27, 28 grand basic. Uh, and they work for people like Yelp. And that type of thing. Yeah. The majority of people who are dealing with um, telesales in contact centres, business to consumer, are going to be the lower end of the market. And a lot of them who apply for the job see the bonus and go, oh, my God, I want that. Not that they can do the job, but that's what they focus on. And they can do um, an interview and they can show you um, and they can communicate very well and they can tell you all the things. It doesn't matter whether they can sell or not, but they can communicate and they want that bonus, so they'll sell it to you that they can do it. And you're going to allow that person write a guideline. So my thing is, is that because, you know, you can't script people because that's not, because you want the structured sales part of it, but you write them a guideline and you write them different openings And if I ever hear anyone ring me and tell me they've got an amazing offer, then I'll get the phone and beat them over the head with it in a nice way. Because it's just like, oh, my God, yes, you grabbed my attention. So it's about doing, taking every element of it and breaking it down into training modules of what are the different things that you could do, you know, how you talk to people, how how you introduce yourself. How you say the words of, you know, to me, if I went the Verity Centre, I will say it in a way of pride because it means so much to me. So when you train people on the phone and if they're saying a name of, just so, actually octopus energy is quite difficult to say. Shells quite easily because it's small. Um, But it's again, you know, you listen to people who ring you at home and they hurry through the script and they don't say what it's about. And what they're trying to do is try and persuade you they're doing something else, not actually selling to you. Um, was it my favorite one of the utilities that I heard? Yes, we're, 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 we're reviewing your area at the moment of the, you know, the different energy um, suppliers and what they offer in your area. No, you're trying to bloody sell to them. That isn't an opening. So again, it's looking at what the opening is and also then teaching people properly about the interest part of it. What does that mean? You know, it's not going, we've got a wonderful offer and then you've got them to close. You, 
it's about building a relationship. It's about, you know, and that is, that's asking them a number of questions, but in a very open, very nice way, making the person feel very, very comfortable. Because you've got between, what is it, 10 and 15 seconds to gain the trust of someone on the phone, on outbound. If you don't do it within that time, you can forget the rest of the call. And so your opening has to be everything and, and make that person actually want to listen to you. And then it's taking them down the structure and the desire. Start teaching people what benefit really is because I've gone into a lot of places and I'll say, give me a benefit. And they'll tell me a feature. And I go, well, no, that's a, still a feature. And I'll go, what, what's the actual benefit? Then they give me another feature. And then I kind of go in like, when are you going to use the words like peace of mind and comfort factor and, you know, things that actually mean something of why I might make a decision to buy. So again, I'm taking it to the nth degree of really educating people and teaching people to actually sell again. Because I remember when the time was, and, and, you know, I do agree all the different levels of data and what you could do it, because what I want is the digital lead that they should be converted to 50%, 60%. Not the fact is that they come back and they tell you, as, a, as I've heard in a number of places, well, it's rubbish. Yeah, they just, I think, yeah, I mean, over the years, I you can imagine I've heard that loads and it's more... Um it's it's like anything you have to sort of understand the understand it and figure out how to utilize it and what you're going to do with it and whatever else when you're going to call it but my this is still comes back to this thing of like okay so you're saying that someone that's gone like yeah yes i want to call about whatever products so the energy so energy and i want to switch and with this person um give me a call right now versus cold calling someone and then you can say it doesn't work. There's no, <laughs> you know, logically, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The thing is, is that people are people. Yeah. One has decided that they want to look. The other one hasn't thought that they want to do it yet. That's all it is. I, I mean, and the thing is, is that this is why I could get better conversion out of kind of your leads because I can get a conversion out of cold leads because my whole point is, is the cold one is just someone that has not decided to actually put on a website yet that they're interested. You don't know whether they're interested or, or not. And actually tomorrow or the next day, they might be that person who's one of your digital leads. I would so often I wonder why don't sensors um so let's say you've bought a load of data like as in it's consented third-party data is cold calling um and do a retard so treat the call almost initially it falls into the aware ada thing as awareness and then you get the level of interest then you target them and they're socially like via facebook you've got their details you could upload them and then start running ads so rather than it being i don't know what the conversion rates that sort of data are but let's say it's two three percent um you've got all this awareness 
at the beginning for the other 97% and then you're targeting them when they uh, like either with more interest or they're hitting their desire or the, if they're going to take action later on. I have never seen anyone do that. Okay. In my last company, yeah, I built a concept around that and, and sold the idea to Shell, who at the time agreed. I set up a d- domain name and it was called Love to Switch because it was cool. I actually got the domain name of that at the time. And it was to have a team taking the really cold data, warming it, building pipeline, utilizing the Love to Switch website. And we even signed off a script with like Shell at the time. Um, And let's just say it didn't go ahead. Right. Yeah. Be interesting to see the results of it did if you started seeing outbound because i feel like that might almost open the uh make it more palatable to more brands again like you were saying there can be this thing that actually a lot of this is rather than seeing it as negative brand awareness is there a way to turn this potential like whole call into a positive like well we we awareness? did we did a load of work for um ips so the individual Preference, remember this now. I can't, can't remember what they call it. Um, and that originally started was actually contacting people um, and putting them on TPS, but getting them to um, would they be interested in receiving specific calls? Because these people actually weren't not interested in having like let's say like a utility sale or an insurance sale what they didn't want to do was be bombarded with people ringing them at home so they were registered on the tps and then um there were certain partners that you would speak to them and say would you be happy for a call from this person this person this person this person now i did a project on behalf of an energy company um, which was in one of our rooms, and in the other rooms was the IPS guys. So I bought leads off the IPS guys and then had them used internally, and we were hitting 45% conversion on them. And it was absolutely broke. So there is there's, there's an awful lot that could be done and looked at. Um, well, it, it, it's a very interesting one to look at. Yeah. Marianne, um, you've been a fantastic guest. We've really enjoyed talking to you and having you on the show. It's been great. Um, as you've been speaking, I kind of pick out notes and things that people are saying. A few of them I've got are high quality data, protecting the brand, building strong relationships. And these are all kind of things that we talk about on the show frequently. So um, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on and joining the conversation with that. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I- I took as well, shut your eyes and listen to you do lots of different voices. <laughs> that's, that, that's for the uncut version. We'll leave, we'll put that in the loop. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much, Marianne. We really, really enjoyed it. Um, that was episode 57, How Effective Can Outbound Be? Thanks for listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to hear more from those at the very cutting edge of the lead gen world.